Okay, so if you have a chumash handy, it would be helpful um, for tonight. So this is a continuation of the classes on the Ramban that we've been doing this year. And I wanted to talk tonight about the the two Vayemer theory as inspired in part by the Ramban and perhaps some others who noticed in discrete places that two Vayemers mean something or don't mean something. Um, but nobody that I can see at least extrapolated the theory that I want to uh, propound um, that I at least that I found. There have been other theories that have been propounded, but not the one that I want to share. So we have in this week's Parsha, of course, the brothers do not like Yasef. They cannot speak to him. They can't even say hello. And Yaakov sends Yasef on a mission. Go check out how they're doing. Go check out their uh, their shalom. Go check out the thing that you can't even talk to them. Go check them out. And Yosef goes, and we know the story that he doesn't come back. Um, and the pasuk says that when Yosef was going to look for them, so he's lost. He can't find them. A man tells him where he is, where they are. And he goes, then the Pazik says, They see him from afar, and they want to kill him. They want to, they want to um, take him down. Reuven hears this. Reuven hears what they're saying, and he saves Yosef, as it were, from the clutches of the brothers, even though Yasef hasn't yet gotten there. Reuven saves him. How does he save him? He saves him presumably by saying, We're not going to kill any any soul. And then in Pasa continues, Reuven says to them, Let's not spill any blood. Let's throw him instead into this pit. Which is in the desert. The Yad Al Let's not have her hand actively hurt him. And the reason Reuven was doing this was because he wanted to save Yosef in order to return to his dad. So Reuven, in a sense, is attempting to fool the brothers into putting Yosef into a pit which the brothers may acquiesce to because that's going to be able to get rid of Yosef without actively killing him. But Reuben's intention was not that Yosef should actually die so much as this was a way to save him. Because if he's in the pit, then the brothers will be happy and they won't attempt to kill him, be a die, and they won't attempt to actively kill him. And then Reuben will figure out a way to get him out of the pit and bring him home. This is what the Pasuk tells us. Now what you may notice in this Pasuk is that Reuven was talking to them. He said, Reuven saved the brothers. I'm sorry, Reuven saved Yosef from the brothers. And he said, let's not, let's not strike any, any soul. Let's not kill anybody. 
said to them, Let's not spill any blood. So my question is, Ruvain is in the middle of talking to them. Ruvain said to them, Don't kill anyone. So why is then the Pasuk adding in that Ruvain said to them, He just said, What's this Why do I need to have another Vayemer? He's already talking to them. Right, Vayemer means and he said. So he said, Vayemer, he said, Lena Kenonafesh. Why do I need to say, Vayemer, Alehem, Ruven, Atishbukudam? Like it's a new statement. What's the new statement? He's in the middle of talking to them. Why do you say, and he said a second time? That's the question. So the Ramban here points out, and the Ramban says the following. The Ramban says that. Ruvain is attempting to convince the brothers not to kill Yosef. But the brothers very much want to kill Yosef. So how does Ruvain do that? So Ruvain, the only way he can do that is by convincing the brothers that he himself does not like Yosef. So therefore, the way the Ramban explains it, he attempts to convince the brothers that he also has a dislike and a disdain for Yosef. Just as much as they do. He also doesn't like Yosef. And he would be very happy if Yosef died. But he would be happy if Yosef died by someone else's hands, not by their own. So, when the brothers hear that Reuven doesn't like Yosef, and that he would be very happy if Yosef were to die by the hands of others, that sort of satisfies them. Now, we don't see that in the text. Ruvain hears the brother saying they want to kill Yosef, and he saves Yosef from their hands, and he says, let's not kill any soul. It doesn't tell us this part of the conversation. The Ramban is adducing it. The Ramban is assuming it, because how else, if these brothers who want to kill him, are they considering not killing him? What did Reuven say? What did Reuven do? If Reuven just said, let's not kill anybody, that's not going to do it. They just said, they're, they're planning to kill him right then and there. So how does Reuven save him? Reuven doesn't save him when he's one against the rest of them. Reuven doesn't save them by saying, oh, let's not kill him. The Ramban has a thesis, by the way, I should mention. The Ramban points out that the hatred that the brothers have for Yosef is for different reasons. The children of Leah, aside from Ruvain, they hate Yosef because of the fact that Yosef is the son of Rachel. He's younger than them. And nevertheless, he's far more favored and beloved by Yaakov. And the sons of the Shvachais hate him because of the fact that he brings bad tidings, bad news, about them to their dad, to Yaakov. So each of the brothers, aside from Reuven, and obviously Binyamin, hate Yosef, but for different reasons. The sons of Leah, because Yosef occupies a preferred position within the home, and the sons of the Shvachais, because of the fact that Yehuda is always, uh, Yosef is always ratting them out uh, to, to their dad. So that is the position of the Ramban in terms of the hatred of the brothers. But either way, they're united. There's a commonality 
that the brothers all hate Yosef, except for Reuven and obviously Binyamin, who's not there. So Reuven can't go up against the other um, ten uh, Shvatim. There's just no way Reuven will be successful. The only way that Reuven can go up against the ten is if he attempts to act like one of them. That he says, look, I'm agreeing with you. He's a bad guy. We've got to get rid of him. So then they're willing to listen. Oh, he agrees with us. So then they listen to him and he says to them, look, we have to kill him. He should die for sure. But we shouldn't be the ones to actively do it. That is the position of the Ramban. Then he says that if you look at if you look at the Pasik, the Pasik says that Ruvain says to them, Loyna Kenu Nafesh and the Kavana Ruven Ruven was trying to save them, to return them to the dead. The Akas of Sipar and the Torah is, tells us, the Torah explains, Masharmalem Ruvain, what the Ruvain said to them and what they listened to. However, remember, they didn't accept the, the basics of what Ruvain said, which is don't let's not hurt him. So Ruvain tried different things. If we remember later on, um in Parashas Miketz, when Yosef accuses the brothers of being spies, so Reuven says, um, the, Reuven says to the brothers, I told you so, right? He says to them, uh, the brothers say, the brothers say that we are guilty, that we didn't listen to Yosef when he was crying to us, asking for help and not to hurt him. And Reuven says, but how didn't I tell you? I told you so. I told you not to do something to him. I told you not to hurt him. So so the Ramban is suggesting, based upon that Pasuk, that we can extrapolate over here when the Torah says, that Reuven was saying things to them, not just like Lena Kenonofesh. He he tried initially to try to save them, and to save him in some way, saying, let's not do something. But it didn't work. So Reuven has to adopt and adapt a posture that convinces the brothers that he is just as much filled with animosity against Yosef. And therefore, since he's just filled with as much animosity against Yosef as they are, then they are willing to listen to him. So therefore, says the, says the, says the Ramban, since he saw that they were not willing to totally let him go at all, um, let's not let's not kill him with our hands. But he doesn't say I don't kill uh, him, Yosef. It says let's not spill blood, meaning it's an objective thing. We shouldn't be killers because against Yosef, he's trying to show that he's also against Yosef. And so, therefore, according to the way the Ramban is learning, initially. What was suggested by Reuven was not accepted, right? That was Vaishma uh, Reuven Yadam. He tried to save him and it didn't work. And he said, Lena Kenanavash, let's not kill. They didn't listen. They still wanted to kill. So he said, Al Tishbuchudam, let's not spill blood. So therefore, Hashlich let's throw him into this pit. So according to the way Rabban is learning, the reason that we need the other Vayemer, the second Vayemer, is because the first thing that he said to them wasn't accepted. Or maybe the first two things that he said wasn't accepted. And then now we have a new Vayemer where he's trying again. So w- w- what we see from here 
is that the the vayomer that is being added, the second vayomer is, in a sense, hinting or alluding or even telling us that the thing that was said before wasn't accepted, and and the malbim is very explicit here in bringing out this point. He says, why do I need to say two vayomers? So according to the Malbim, similar to the Ramban, he says, Reuben first tried to save Yosef by saying that he shouldn't be harmed. When that didn't work, he said, let's not kill him. Let's do some other sort of a harm to him. And that didn't work. So he said, okay, let's throw him into the pit so at least he doesn't die by our hand in an active manner. So what I want to do is take from this Ramban, and it's further expanded and more clear from the Malbim, the basic idea that when you have a Vayomer where uh, one person is saying something to somebody else and then it's not followed by a response from the person who is being spoken to and instead we have another Vayomer where the original speaker is again speaking to the listener that that second Vayomer is essentially saying that whatever the person originally said is not accepted, was not was not accepted by the by the listener, and therefore we need to say Vayomer again, trying a different approach, a different tact, something else. And I think that this is a you say to stick a point that applies throughout, and I, I I think there are many places in Chumash where I can prove this point. So I like to go through some of these proofs, but again, like I say, this idea is, you can see it here in the Ramban, um, in an implicit way, more explicitly in the Malbim, but they don't extrapolate it throughout Chumash. What I'm going to try to do is show you how throughout Chumash you can see this point, but I think you see it here. The Torah is very beautifully bringing out that the brothers were not accepting of the various arguments of Reuven to save Yosef, and it does it by simply saying, and he said, by adding in another Vayomer, that's giving you all of this additional context. All right, a second, a second example where, where we can show this is in relation to by Avram. Avram was promised by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, right before the Brisbane Absarim, um, um, Hashem tells Avram that in a in a dream, Altir Avram, right? Don't be afraid. right? I'm gonna protect you. You have a very great reward coming to you. And Avram says back to Hashem, Avram. Avram says back to Hashem, Hashem alukim, matitali. What are you giving me? Right, I have no children. Right, I don't have anything. I'm, I may have a lot of possessions, but I don't have a child. You promised me I'm going to be a great nation. I don't have any children. The Pasuk then says, and Avram again said, You didn't give me any children. I don't have any kids. I don't have anybody to yashin me. And now Hashem says back to you don't have to worry the person in your house, your servant there is not going to be the one who yashins you. Who's going to who's going to actually yashin you is your own your own um, your own family, right? You're going to have somebody who's going to be yitzchalot. So you're going to have somebody who's going to be your actual descendant, 
who's going to yash on you, but not the the person who's working in your home. So what we see from here is that Avram Avinu is questioning Hakadosh Baruch Hu. You're telling me that I'm having all this good. You're telling me that I'm going to get all this great stuff, but I don't see it. Bechosh, I don't see practically. Where do I have it? I don't have any children. I wasn't given any any descendants, and yet you're telling me that I'm going to have a multitude of descendants, but I don't have any. So on this, Avram, as the Torah says, says twice. Vayemer Avram, and then again, Vayemer Avram. So I'd like to suggest to you that this is a situation of the two Vayemer theory here in action. Avram is, as it were, not satisfied with what HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him. Hashem told him, you're going to have a great reward. I'm protecting you. You're going to be very great. And Avram's like, but I don't see that. And again, but Hashem, I don't see that. I don't have any children. You promised me I don't have it. So it seems to me that as it were, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't respond to the first time because he doesn't have anything to say back, as it were. He's not happy with Avram's response. What, are you questioning me? I just told you, have a little bit of trust. So this seems to be, again, a good uh, suggestion or application of this two-by-yemer idea in action. Because here Avram says something that perhaps was not appropriate. And he doesn't get a response. And he tries again. So first I want to say over who disagrees with this approach, which is the Chizkuni. The Chizkuni here suggests that he, he's bothered. Why do I have two Vayemers? So the Chizkuni notices the problem. Why would it say Vayemer Avram and then immediately follow and say Vayemer Avram again? Doesn't make sense. If you're in the middle of a conversation with somebody, in this case Avram is being spoken to by HaKadosh Baruch when he's responding. So it says, Vayem Avram. Why does it say Vayem Avram again? He's in the middle of talking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he said, and then he said, why does it have to say it twice? So the Cheskuni makes the argument that what this indicates whenever you have two Vayemers is that there was like a, a pause and time passed and then a new conversation started. So the Cheskuni's argument is that the two Vayemer theory that we're mentioning, which is when somebody X said something to Y, and then it again says Vayemer X to Y, and there's no response, and there's no response from Y. So we're suggesting that's because Y wasn't happy with what X was saying. So therefore X is attempted to say something, to, to have Y's attention, to have Y respond, Y doesn't like it. So X tries again. Says the Cheskuni a different approach. Whenever the Torah says two Vayemers, one after the other with no seeming obvious need for it, it's because time passed between the first Vayemer of X to Y, a certain period of time passed, and then X says again something to Y. That's a new conversation. So that's the Cheskuni's idea. And he says... That this two Vayemer Avrams, one took place, you know, in one month, and then it took place sometime later, another month or a week, whatever it is. It's a separate conversation. But I'm not saying that. And in fact, I found that the the Nitziv 
says like me. The Nitziv over here points out, but again, he doesn't extrapolate it to all two Vayemers in, in, in the Chumash. He just limited to this place here in Parshas Lech Lecha. But the Nitziv says, Vayemer Avram, Maimer Sheni, V'loi hoya biyachan imaymer risha, imaymer mishum, shehiskil Avram imash, v'loi heishev HaKadosh Baruch Hu Mu'uma. He says that the two Vayemers are not connected because in the sense that Avram realized that what he said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu initially was not responded to. Ki loi shra ki inyin, he shouldn't have said, I'm going to go empty. I'm going to go, I, I, God has it were, has, has reneged on his promise. Hashem has just told him that you're going to be okay. I'm taking care of you. So therefore, therefore he goes back and says it again. And this time, instead of saying, I'm going, I'm going you know, empty of anything. So he says, which is a bit of a better Lashem. I'm not so sure it's a bit of a better Lashem. I'm not so sure that necessarily I agree with what the Nitziv is trying to say. But the idea that the Nitziv is pointing out, that Avram said, two, there's two Vayemers, that Avram said something. It wasn't accepted. Avram tried again to say something, and this time Hashem responds. It could very well be that neither response was a great response from Avram. But after saying that Avram is not getting the hint, then Hashem responds. That may be closer, to, at least to the way I see it. But the point again is that there was two Vayemers. Vayemer X to Y. Vayemer Avram to Hashem. Hashem doesn't respond. Says again, Vayemer Avram to Hashem. According to the Chizkuni, that's because there's two different time periods. But according to what we're saying, is that it's not two different time periods. It's one time period. But Avram said something that Hashem didn't want to respond to. Perhaps because it was inappropriate what Avram said. And then Avram tries again. And then Hashem responds, clearly seeing that Avram is not going to get the hint. So therefore, Hashem says um, that you don't have to worry. You're going to have a child. Hashem, again, refreshes uh, that promise. It makes it clear that, no, he's going to have uh, a child. Your own child, not somebody from your house, is going to inherit you. All right. So that was the, another example. I think there's a very obvious example that proves the Cheskuni wrong. Not just by Reuven, right? What we have over here in our parsha, where you know maybe um, maybe uh, the 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 brothers saw Yosef coming, and then Reuven tries to save them, and it says again, That seems to me also to be one conversation. But right there in Lech Lecha, where the Chizkuni says on Avram that it was two separate times. Literally, right after the Brisbane of Sarm, the very next parsha is the parsha of Sarah giving Hagar to Avram. And what happens? Hagar becomes pregnant, and she becomes difficult to deal with for Sarah. And, and, and she complains, Sarah complains to Avram and says, it's terrible, you know, I give you Hagar, and now she's acting all uppity. So Avram says, do what you want. And Sarah makes Hagar's life miserable, and Hagar runs away. If you look at the Psukim over there, you'll see what it's clearly one conversation. It's clearly at one time because there's literally one conversation going on at one time where the Malach is trying to convince Hagar to go back, to go back and take the, 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 the pain that she gets from Sarah, but to live with it. If you look at the Pasuk over there, the Pasuk says, the, the, the Malach says to Hagar, 
Amy Zevaz v'ana selechi. He says, where are you going? And she says, She says, I'm running away from my master. I'm running away from Sar. So here we have an X to Y, right? X, the Malach says to Y, which is Hagar. He says, Go back. Go back to your master and take, take the pain. And we have no response from why. We have no response from Hagar. Continues the passage. Again, X says to Y. I'm going to make you have many children. They're going to have a tremendous nation. No response from Y. No response from Hagar. Third time, Malach Hashem. Third time, the Malach Hashem says. You're going to have a child, right? You are pregnant, you're going to have a child. You're going to call him Yishmael, which means what? Hashem is hearing your pain. He's hearing your suffering. And on this, Hagar says, not to the mouth, she says in the text, wow, this is a place, right, where Hashem sees Kel Roi, she calls the place Be'er al That's what we call the place, Be'er al-Chai So I want to say from this, that this is a great raya to our theory of the two Vayemers. Because what happened over here? Vayemer X to Y, the angel is trying to convince Hagar to go back to Sarah. He first tries by saying, go back. Hagar's not listening. Now we should remember that Hagar has already responded to this Malach. Remember, the Malach had initially said to her, Amy Zevas, Vana Selech, where are you going? So she said, I'm running away from Sarah, my master. So it's not that Hagar doesn't respond to the Malach. She already responded. She already spoke to him. The Malach is now saying, Go back. Go back to Sarah. And take the pain. On that, we have no response from why. We have no response from Hagar. I think because of the fact that what's going on here is that Hagar is not interested in going back. She's not interested in taking on the pain. Right? Which the Ramban over there points out was especially cruel, was especially hurtful, which is the reason for the future enmity of the Yishmael family for the Jewish people forevermore. So, the Malach tries again. I'm going to give you a big nation. You're going to have a big nation come out from you. No response from why, right? No response from Hagar. It's not enough to convince her. So then we have a third attempt. And on this third attempt, right, she goes back. What is this third attempt? This third attempt is, You're going to have a child. You're going to call him Yishmael. Why? Hashem hears. Hashem hears your pain. On this, she responds, Ah, oh, this is the Kel Roi. Hashem, Hashem, he sees. That is to say, 
The fact that she's asked to go back or told to go back is not enough to convince her to go back. Even though it's a Malach who's talking to her, even though she already spoke to the Malach, tell me to go back? No. Tell me I'm going to have a great nation? No. But you tell me that Hashem hears my suffering, that my suffering is not to waste, that HaKadosh Baruch is aware of it, that I'm going to imprint and brand into my own descendants my, the name of Yishma, which means Hashem heard my suffering? Then she's willing to go back. Then she's willing to acknowledge that Hashem, Hashem sees her pain. So it seems to me over here that this is an example of, of uh, <clears throat> these Tuva Yemer theory in action. And that's why, and that's why um, after this, uh, that's why she, well, she doesn't respond the first two times. Uh, the, she doesn't respond. She responds to the, the first thing about what what are you doing? But those next three vayamers, there's no response. But that's why on the third one, I think she does respond, even though she's not responding directly to the to the mouth. She's talking about the, the place being a place uh, Hashem sees. It's and that's what inspires her to go back is because Hashem saw. Hashem hears the pain. It's not for law. Not it's not lost. It's not unnoticed. An additional raya. In the next week's parsha, after that, in parsha of Ayeram, is by the Maisha of Avimelech. Avimelech, as we know, attempted to take Sarah, and he's told in a dream that this is a married woman, and you're going to be in trouble. You have to let her go. And Avimelech does. But when Avimelech lets her go, he doesn't just let her go. He has a whole conversation with Avram about it. And if you look over there, you find again what I believe to be another proof of this Tuva Yemer theory in action. Over there, Avimelech says to Avram, Avimelech Avimelech calls to Avram, and he says to Avram, What did you do to us? And how have we you know, done anything bad to you? You have brought upon us a big sin. Things that shouldn't be never be done, you did to us. Things that should never be done, you did to us. And to me, um, that's a pretty powerful accusation. Right? Avimelech is accusing Avram of himself acting in a desultory fashion in a way that's inappropriate. Avram may be uh, you know, a great person. But he's saying, you didn't act right to us to let us be in the situation that we can get caught like this kind of a, a, a problem. But Avram doesn't respond. So here we have a Vayemer, X to Y, Vayemer Avimelech el Avram, and Avram doesn't respond. And if you look at the puzzle, the puzzle continues, and the puzzle says, Vayemer, again, Avimelech el Avram, again, Avimelech says to Avram, what did you see that caused you to do this? So the Arachayim here points out, again, he doesn't extrapolate this to all the two Vayemers in, in the Torah. He doesn't do that. He's local to this specific instance. But he says that He says, he says the first Vayemer was an accusation against Avram. The second Vayemer is a question. What did you see? 
The first time Avimelech is talking to Avram, the first Vayemer, he's giving him Teichacha, you're a bad guy. In this instance, you acted wrong. In the second Vayemer, he's saying, okay, what caused you? What precipitated? What was the factor that caused you to act in this way towards us? What did you see in us that was somehow deficient that caused you to act in this manner towards us? And on that, Avram says, I saw that there's no fear of God. He would kill me on account of my wife. So on this, I think again, we have a perfect paradigm of this Tuva Yemer theory in action because we have two statements of Avimelech to Avram. One, as the Archaim points out, it's an accusation. That accusation Warranted or unwarranted, Avram doesn't respond. You're accusing me of being a bad guy? I'm not responding. I have nothing to say. You have your opinion. I have my opinion. Then you say to me a question. Why did you act in this manner? What did you see deficient in us? On that, Avram responds. So again, this is a good proof that whenever we have two Vayemers, from X to Y, and Y doesn't respond after the first Vayemer, it's because, not like the Cheskuni says that it's a different time period, it's the same time period. What we have is a situation where Y didn't like what X told them. Therefore, wasn't responding. And the second time when he does respond, it's because he was more comfortable with what X was saying. Now, one of the proofs of the Chizkuni to his, to his suggestion that these take place at different times is in Parshas Vayetze. The Chizkuni says, if you look in Parshas Vayetze, over there, Rachel has y- Yosef, where Yosef is born. And Yaakov tells Love, and look, time for me to go home. And if you look carefully at the Psukim, Yaakov says to Lavan, Give me my wives and children and all of this. Um, and it's time for me to go. I want to go home. I want to go back to my family, to my birthplace, to, <coughs> to my, to my home, home, hometown. So Lavan says to him, Lavan says back to to Yaakov. Hashem, I've done some nichosh. Hashem has blessed me because of you. And the next passage is Vayimar. And he said, who said, Lavan said, Tell me what your wages should be. Tell me what your wages should be. So what we have over here, as you know, again, the Chizkuni believes, that these two Vayemers are different points in time. That is, Yaakov said to Lavan, I want to go home. Lavan says, I've, I've done some divination. I know you're the one responsible for my success. And then at some point later, Lavan says, and you know, tell me what your wages should be. And then Yaakov has a conversation with him about what his wages should be. I notice, of course, that there's a difference between Vayemer and Vayemar. Right? Vayemar is more of like a, uh, a pausal kind of a statement, which basically is like saying, like saying, right? As opposed to Vayemer, which is, and he said. So that's fair. 
But I'm not sure that makes a difference. I think our theory still holds over here. But in order to understand the theory, we have to, we have to understand fundamentally about what was going on here. And in this, I'm going to take a different opinion than the Malbum. The Malbum wants to make the argument. He also notices the Tuvayamers. He's also bothered by it. The Malbum wants to take the argument that I want to disagree with. I'll just tell you what the Malbum says first. He says that Lavan was telling Yaakov that he owes him wages for the 14 years that he worked. The 14 years that he worked for him, he said, I have to pay you for that. So the according to the Malbum is Lavan saying, I want to pay you for all the great work that you did for me. That is, the two daughters that I gave you, I gave it to you, Bechinam, I gave it to you for free. You worked for me. That's not for free. So I have to pay you for that. So therefore, Yaakov is agreeing with him on wages for the past 14 years. And of course, it's a problem. Over the next six years, Lovin wants to constantly switch the wages to something that works out better for him. So it takes him a while to eventually get paid for the 14 years. This is the approach of the mom, and I think it's the approach of many people who think that this is what Yaakov is getting paid for by Lovin. But I'm going to suggest to you a different reading. In my understanding, that's not actually what's going on here. You see, because for 14 years, Yaakov worked not for free, and now he's going to get paid. For Yaakov worked specifically for the two daughters. By Zeli Esim Shana Bevesecha, Avaditicha Yaakov says, I worked for 14 years for your daughters. In other words, Lovan, you sold me your daughters seven years for, for, for Rachel and seven years for Leah. As the daughters themselves said, what did Rachel and Leah say? He treated us like strangers because he sold us. He sold us to you for the work, for the 14 years of work. So what I want to suggest to you is that not that Lovan is looking to pay Yaakov now at these 14 years of labor that was for free that now he's looking to pay for him. Not at all. Lovan is trying to do something else. Yaakov has said to Lovan, I want to go home. I want to go home now. I've, I've done my time here. I've worked for 14 years. In order to pay my debt, which was, I married these two women, your daughters. I said I was going to work seven years for them, for each. The 14 years are out. Yaakov presumably stayed some extra time, because it looks like Rachel is pregnant. Because if you look at the puzzle, the puzzle says that Yaakov says he wants to leave once Yosef is born. So the Midrashic understanding is because now he can face Esau, because Yosef is some sort of a, a spark. He's going to catch you know, the, 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 the straw of Esau and light it on fire. Very nice. But the Pashup shot is, once Yosef is born, Yaakov can travel. Rachel is no longer pregnant. So Yosef being born is the precipitating factor that enables Yaakov to actually leave. But he's only leaving because the 14 years have already been completed. So Yaakov now wants to go back. He's no more left to work. He's done. My work here is done. I completed my deal. I want to go back home. Lavan 
says, look carefully at the Pasuk, Nichashti Vaybarcheni Hashem Begolacha. Right? I've divined that my success is due to you. What's Lavan ending here? What's he trying to say? I think what's going on here is that Lavan wants to keep Yaakov around. Why does Lavan want to keep Yaakov around? Because he sees a tremendous success in his business as a result of having this incredibly good overseer. In other words, the Madrashic understanding that Lavan was blessed with sons, etc. Now that Yaakov is there, it's all nice. But the simple Pshat understanding is that Lavan is blessed with a tremendous success in business. He has a great manager. He has somebody who, the Pasuk tells us, Yaakov says about how hard he worked, right? Right, the, he he worked so hard by day, by night. He tried to not sleep. The heat, the cold, nothing stopped Yaakov Mamish all day. So you have such a great manager. You see, just tremendous success. Lavan doesn't want him to go back. Lavan wants Yaakov to stay. So he tries to convince him to stay by acknowledging that his success is due to Yaakov. But if you see the pasuk. So, Vayemer, Lavan to Yaakov, Vayemer, X to Y, Nichashti, Vayvarcheni, Hashem, Begolacha, doesn't do anything. Yaakov doesn't respond. The fact that you're acknowledging, right, in modern parlance, right, in the modern-day corporate environment, right, we call it the, there's two ways to reward people, right? There's sort of the soft reward, which is you acknowledge them, right, you give them kudos, you you make the, in a public uh, forum, you acknowledge their their tremendous uh, uh, abilities and their success. And then there's the the hard way of compensation. Not soft compensation, but hard compensation, which is you actually pay them. So Yaakov is not responding to Lavan's soft compensation. You're telling me that you acknowledge that your success is due to me? Thank you very much. It doesn't change my bottom line. I'm leaving. Then Lavan says, <coughs> Lavan says to Yaakov, why don't you name your price? What's Lavan trying to do here? I don't think Lavan is trying to get Yaakov to, 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 to tell him how much he owes him for the 14 years of work. No. Lavan is trying to tell Yaakov, tell me what it's going to cost me for you to stay on. How much do I have to pay you going forward when you no longer owe me anything? You already paid off the 14 years of work, but I want you to stay here. How much do I have to pay you going forward for you to stick around? Now this, Yaakov names his price. Yaakov says, look, you know, I've been working for you all this time. I haven't done anything for myself. I'm an older man. I've got all this family. I've got a lot of expenses. And I haven't built uh, my own asset base. I've been basically only increasing your wealth. I don't have anything for myself. So they agree upon a uh, division of where Yaakov from now on is going to work for Lavan and he's going to work for himself. I already discussed this on a Friday night in Parashas Vayetze, how this actually is a fascinating uh, repercussions of the Halacha, the Rambam and the Hilchus about how there's the, we learn out from Yaakov the essence of how one or the requirement that one is supposed to work very hard. 
But there's a, clearly a difference between the first 14 years and the last six years. And what I'm saying is the last six years is a new deal between Lavan and Yaakov. Lavan is now hiring Yaakov to work for Lavan part-time. Now Yaakov is also able to work for himself. That Nokva Sechar Chalayv is now Yaakov working for himself over the next years and for Lavan, and they have going to agree on what that split is going to be. So now Yaakov, as it were, is uh, no longer bound by the old contract. They negotiated now a new contract. Therefore, then, the two Vayemers are perfect. Why doesn't it say that Yaakov responds? Because Lavan's trying to keep him there. Lavan gives soft comp. He recognizes Yaakov's contribution. Yaakov has no response to that. I don't need any soft comp. I need the bottom line comp. I need hard comp. On that, then Lavan says again, all right, I'm willing to pay you. When you're willing to pay me, then Yaakov starts to negotiate what Yaakov's going to get paid. So I think this is actually another raya of the Tuvayemer theory in action. All right, I want to do another example. Jump a few parishes down to next week's parish, parishes Miketz. We're going to have the famine. And Yaakov's going to tell the brothers, why don't you go down to Mitzrayim? If you look at the Pasuk, the Pasuk says that Yaakov saw that there was food in Egypt, as opposed to the land of Canaan, which had no food. It's a repeat, sort of the famine in the times of Avram, right? There's no food in the land of Canaan, but there is food in Egypt. Remember, Egypt is not bound, right, in the same way by the same kinds of uh, um, drought rules, given that they are able to rely on the Nile, although in the case of Egypt, they also had a famine, but in this case, they're able to prepare for those years because of the years of plenty. So Yaakov says to the sons, look, there's I hear this fa- there's provisions in Egypt. What, what are you looking around? What are you doing? What are you hanging out here? Go go to Egypt and get some food. And Yaakov says again, He neshamati ki I heard there's provisions in Egypt. Go get some food from there. And we won't die. The 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 Targum uh, Pseudo Jonathan, the Targum Yenison ben says that Lomatis Ro means why are you scared? Why are you not being willing to go down to Egypt? Whatever it is, it's clear that the Tuvayemers over here, again, unlike the Cheskunia, are taking place perhaps at different times, or not, it's not so clear. Maybe it took place at different times. Maybe the famine got stronger. Maybe this really, in fact, is not a good proof. Maybe it's more like the Cheskunia. It's not 100% clear to me. But it is clear the brothers did not want to go down. The brothers did not want to go down, and therefore they don't respond to Yaakov. So Yaakov tries again to convince them to go down to Egypt. So if it did, took place at two different times, so it took place at two different times, like the Cheskunia would say, maybe it's not a raya that that um, that uh, they didn't want to listen. But it would seem most likely that why didn't they go down the first time? Maybe it wasn't bad enough yet. Not 100% clear. But most likely, even according to the Cheskunia, even if it took place at different times, the reason that they didn't go initially was because they didn't want to go down. Why did they want to go down? That again, lots of Midrashim, potentially that are relevant, but the basic idea seems to be that Yaakov has to convince them to go down, they don't want, they're not jumping out of their seats of their pants to go down. We'll leave it at that. Now, the, 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 one of the big examples, uh, we're, we're running short on time, 
So maybe we'll finish here with the with the last example in Bereshis. I have other examples in Shemais, examples in other uh, of the Chumashim, but we'll, we'll we'll conclude with this one. With this, the the example in Parshas uh, Vayigash, in Parshas Vayigash, and this was noticed by the Kliyakar again. Only in this specific place, he didn't extrapolate this throughout. So over there, the brothers, the story is the brothers that come down to um, to Egypt, and Yosef. It's sort of like a modern uh, a modern situation, right? Where you how how long does it take for somebody when you're in the middle of talking to them to ask you what you do, right? Because of this part, I've always made it my business attempting. Never to ask somebody what they do, right? Who wants to be Parai? To ask somebody what they do is immediately the first question. Yaisif knows this is what Parai is going to ask. This is going to be his first question. What do you do? So Parai says to the brothers, what do you do? Right? Which Yaisif knew he was going to ask. And Yaisif said to the brothers, like they prepped, right? Imagine etiquette class. Power is gonna. Add, I'm gonna take you to Parai. It's only proper, right? I'm the viceroy in Egypt. You're my family. You came down. I have to introduce you to Parai. Power is gonna say, "What do you do?" Yaisa says to them, "I want you to tell him that you're Anche Mikne, that you're cattlemen. Why should you say that you're cattlemen?" So the 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 Pusik tells us that the reason you should say that you're cattlemen, Minu Reinu from when you were children. Till today, not just us, our forefathers also. Why? So he'll situate you in the land of Gershon. <coughs> because it's an abominable activity to be shepherds in Egypt. As the Ibn Ezra points out, sheep in Egypt at that time were considered like, you know, the cows in India. They were venerated, they were sacred. People were not shepherds. They didn't. They didn't eat sheep. They didn't eat the meat. They sort of let them run free. So, according to the way Yosef wants them to present the their their uh, work to Pharaoh, is in a way that would be befitting the courtly etiquette that was required of the time. You don't tell him. That you're shepherds, which is a tayeva, it's an abomination. You say you're cattlemen, and hamaven yavin that you've got sheep. So, this is in fact what happens. Yosef brings them down to Pare. and Pare says, as expected, what do you do? Look at the answer of the brothers. The brothers say, What do you do? And they say to Pari, we're shepherds. Not just us, our forefathers as well. And they say to Pari, we came here for a short period of time. We didn't come here to live here. We came here to reside for a, a, a brief period. Why? Because we have no, we have no pasture. For our sheep, because the because the uh, the the famine is very bad in the land of Canaan, and we are now residing in Gushin. Let us stay in Gushin. 
And Pari says to Yosef, your brothers and your father, they've all come to you. Egypt is before you. Reside in wherever you want the best areas. Let them stay in Gaishan. And if they have any Anshechayel, if you have any valorous people in the family, then appoint them as officers in my army. So I think over here, without saying anything, the Torah is saying a lot. Because here you have that the Vayomer Vayomer again. The, the Pare said to the brothers, Mama Seichem, what do you do? Pare started a conversation with them. Vayomer al Pare, and they said to Pare, Roy Eitzayim. Vayomer al Pare, and they said to Pare, We came here to reside for a, a brief period. Pare never responded. Vayomer X to Y twice, right? They say to Pare, Pare doesn't respond. Paz says again, they say to Pare. It seems to me, and again, like I said, the Kliyakar notices, but he takes on a different a, a different approach. Yosef wanted the brothers to practice courtly etiquette. You come in there, just say you're cattlemen. That's just the appropriate way of getting across the point that you're shepherds. He'll get it, but that's just the right way to talk. They don't do that. They refuse to. They say we're right side. They embrace their distinctive uh, approach to life. They're not like the Egyptians at all. They don't venerate the same things. They don't hold the sacred objects that the Egyptians hold of at all. And they say, no, we're shepherds. On this, Pyre has nothing left to say to them. Pyre doesn't respond to them. He doesn't even look to talk to them again. So they try again to let Pyre know how different and distinct they are. And what do they continue on say? They say that, oh, we only came for a short period of time. We're not here really to live here. We're just here because of that famine in the land of Canaan. On this, power never responds to them whatsoever. He just talks to Yosef and says, I see your family's here. And he says, if you have any valorous men, appoint them sorry miknal ashali. I think that's, of course, a play. right? Obviously, power is speaking in Egyptian. He's not saying the word mikna. The Torah is using the word mikna and sign, and it's using them interchangeably. And the point, I think, to make is that Pari is, as it were, quipping to Yosef and saying, like, none of these guys are ready to work in the court. They're ready to, you know, be at court. They are, you know, country bumpkins. They are trying to get across their idea that they have a very different approach than I do. You, of course, Yosef, have a our master. Even if you have a different ideology, you're able to subsume it. You're able to um, make it reside only quietly you're able to act the part in public so if you have any valorous people then we'll appoint them sorry mikna we'll appoint them um as as officers but like and using the word mikna in this case like the mikna that yasef had wanted them to say that they refused to say i think what what we're seeing here and again in perfect time for hanukkah is the brothers fundamental Disagreement with Yosef as to the proper approach and the way to live. Yosef is saying, look, I can be a member of the court and I can still hold my opinions. And the brothers are saying, no, we need to be distinctive and separate. And we don't agree with you. You want us to say to Pari that we're Anshay Mikna? We're not going to do that. We're going to tell him a right sign. So Pari sees that these guys are coming with their ideology and they're not interested in playing the part in the court. So he has nothing left to say to them. And you see how much they're trying to 
make the point that they are very distinct from the Egyptians, that they're trying again by saying that we came here to live only for a few minutes, we're only here for the period of the famine. And that's why Pari never responds to them because he has nothing left to say to them. So I think what this brings out are a different theory than the Cheskuni, one that we said was precipitated by the Ramban, perhaps in this Parshan part. But as we showed, many Mepharshim notice, at least in local places, the problem of the fact that when you have one Vayomer followed by another Vayomer with no interceding response, why did it have to say a second Vayomer? So we had the local answers from various different commentaries, along with the global theory of the Cheskuni that it took place at different times. What I think we've shown is that we can't substantiate the Cheskuni to say that it's at different times, because clearly many of these situations are all at one time. And rather, a better explanation is that the reason for the one Vayomer followed by another Vayomer is because of the fact that the person being spoken to was not happy with what was being spoken and therefore felt no need to respond. And that is the, the basic idea of the theory of the two Vayomers and as we see it throughout Sefer Beratius. Have a good Shabbos. Have a good Shabbos.